The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Breaking, a baseball news podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. I'm Tim Jackson, here with TC Zenka. TC, how are you today? So good, man. So good as ever. How are you? Uh, I'm all right. Uh, life is, is moving. Baseball season's getting going. And really, roster moves are starting to happen. And things are starting to, you know, guys are being sent back to minor league camp, all of that. Uh, and teams are really making decisions on their 26-man roster. So uh, last week, as we really explained, as we delved into Super 2 with Juan Soto and a potential extension for him, today we really wanted to consider options, guys who are out of options. Another phrase that we hear a lot that uh, maybe is tough to always get a grasp of exactly what that means, because a lot of times these moves are made by teams looking to kind of fortify the edges of their roster. And uh, basically, an option lets a player get sent to the minors without being subjected to waivers. So if it were that simple, we'd be in a great great spot, wouldn't we? (laughs) Right. There's a big so right there. Uh, So... After that, the player's taken off the 26-man. He remains on the 40-man. The option lasts all year. It doesn't matter how many times a guy gets called up or sent down. But if he spends 20 days in the minors in that season, he loses that option. Players have three options. And then four if a guy has less than five pro major and minor league seasons that they're already used up. Uh, So being on a pro roster even for 90 days counts as a year in this case. If optioned, hitters have to stay down for 10 days, pitchers for 15. Uh, The the option is void or the timeline is void if they're used as a 27th man for a double header. And what can make them confusing really is uh, in addition to this laundry list of exceptions and details about it is that there is no limit, right? There is no limit. They, they don't have to be used consecutively. The three options can be used within the five years. So there's a lot of moving parts here that ultimately can be very confusing. But a lot of guys are out of options. And these are major leaguers who could be contributors. Uh, so, uh, TC, with that said, why don't, you, uh, why don't you introduce us to some top position players here that you feel could be uh, interesting waiver claims for guys who are out of options. So all these guys, for the most part, have spent time in the majors. Every now and again, you do get a guy who doesn't have actual major league service time, who still runs a lot of, out of options. And that's because another one of these fringe rules is that there's a date every spring where if you send a guy down to the minors before that date, then an option is not used. So this date was actually yesterday. It was the 15th. 
So for instance, uh, Brandon Marsh, outfielder for the Angels, he's one of their top prospects. He was optioned to AAA yesterday so that the Angels, even though he's on their 40-man roster, they don't have to use one of his options this year if they, if they don't choose to. Had they waited until today, then that would have counted as an option. You know, basically, that rule's in effect so that if a guy comes close to making the majors and he doesn't make the team, you still have to use an option even if he spends no time on the roster and you send him down on opening day. But that's kind of a rare occurrence, especially for that to happen three times. It's very rare. In particular, this becomes an issue with all of the, these moving parts are really feeding into service time, right? Like even Super 2 last week when we said it kind of helps the team and the player, but it makes the team pay up sooner. And that's why you see guys held down for X amount of days magically to work on defense or whatever. Like very similar in the sense here with uh, with being out of options. It's, it's really about service time and how that gets dictated. Right? right, exactly. And another thing that's making this even more complicated this year is that we're still waiting on kind of the verdict to come down about last year's service time. So while the players union and the league had to negotiate the terms of last year's season, one of the things that they did not negotiate was options. So it was a 60 game season, but what we don't know yet is if that counts as an option year or not. So in the case of uh, Adbert Alzali of the Cubs, he is out of options if that season counted as a regular major league season. But usually you need 90 days. So in this case, there are only 60 days. So uh, the players have filed a grievance against the league. The league is saying that does not count as a season. Um, so therefore, Alzali would have one more option. So teams right now still don't really know. There are just a couple of these fringe cases where guys may or may not have an option year left. And we're just waiting for that verdict to come down. They say it's going to come down you know, well before opening day, but you know, it won't be very far before opening day because we're only you know, two weeks out now. So... Uh, you know, we're still waiting. Right. So, and in the case of Alzali, that's a big deal because if he's out of options, he's going to make the, he's going to make the team. The Cubs will not expose him to waivers. He's a guy that they, that they like. They think he's, he has a role. So they'll stick him in the bullpen. But if he does have options remaining, they might be more likely to put Alec Mills into their fifth starter spot and send Alzali back to the, you know, alternate training site for a month to, you know, work on making his slider more slidery or, you know, whatever it is they say they're going to work on. <laughs> And this does matter, right? Like we we keep emphasizing that, and you you even said it just a minute ago that you know you do get legitimate major league players who are difference makers, right? Like we have a short list even in the last couple of years: uh, Trevor Williams, uh, Gio Urshela, Hansel Robles, uh, Oliver Drake, who's played a role in in various important innings for various important teams. Luke Jackson, Liam Oliver Hendricks. Drake, he was on he was on waivers I think seven times last winter or something. He was seven one of those times. guys who's you know back and forth. This year it's um. Uh, who's the guy? There's a guy who keeps being passed back and forth between the Red Sox and the Blue Jays. Joel Piamps. Apologize to Piamps if I'm saying his name wrong, but Joel Piamps is one of these guys who's been DFA numerous times this winter. He was essentially on the Blue Jays and then claimed off waivers by the Red Sox. And two weeks later, the Blue Jays claimed him again. There's a lot of moving back and forth during these winter seasons. And there's always a guy or two that just kind of people like, but he's, he's just just off the radar so he's kind of he'll be moved around until whatever musical chairs you know song ends and he ends up stuck somewhere hopefully get him some major league roster time somewhere but you know we'll see but to your point yeah a lot of these guys were really good uh Gio Urshela was kind of the big the classic case of this he's kind of the dream case right he's somebody that he runs out of options with the Indians he's a fine defensive player but they don't think he's much offensively and then the Yankees pick him up and he turns into a relative star yeah, a guy who really hangs around, uh, who who can play 140, 150 games, and really does make a big difference. 
Uh, even Austin Nola was on that list recently, uh, who is, you know, he was a pretty big piece in that deal between the Mariners and the Padres this offseason, or was it last, last deadline or uh, whenever it happened, uh, right? He, yeah, was, he was a big deal. Uh, and then Corey Dickerson, G-Man Troy, guys who you know, guys who have had moments in this league who can fortify the edges of a roster. So we should look at some of these guys. I mean, those are some of the guys in the past who've been claimed real real difference makers every now and again. You know, G-Man Choi is he's the cleanup hitter for the Rays. And and though these are guys typically like Choi, he's kind of a perfect exam- example because he does have weaknesses, right? He's the guy who they really only want to hit against right-handed pitchers, but he's a big-time power bat when, he's, when he is in there. Um, so there are some, definitely some guys that we can find on this out-of-options list. Now, they kind of fall into categories, right? We end up getting a lot of catchers because teams can only have – only are going to have two catchers for the most part. So there are always some kind of fringe catchers on this list. And then relievers is the other place where we have usually a lot of guys um, who are potential grabs here. Um, the other position is first base. Now, first base is kind of an awkward position. So, you know, we'll, let's, we'll say more about that when we get to it. But let's first go, let's go through and do the catchers and relievers here. So catchers, Tim, are there any guys on this list that you, that you, that you get excited about? Get excited about? Uh, well, you know, relatively, <laughs> relatively. I think I think the name to be drawn to is Reese McGuire with what he does with the Blue Jays. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think it because really, we, I mean, we mentioned the the bowling ball of love, Alejandro Kirk, last uh, last week, and he's kind of uh, he's kind of pushed them this this spring. He's really had a, a solid spring, and it's almost like do they send Kirk down because he does have options because he is younger because he doesn't have plate appearances above high A. Or do they say, you know what, this team's ready to go. He might play a better role, more important role than Reese McGuire. Uh, ultimately, do you, do you see Reese McGuire hitting waivers at some point, TC? Or do you see somebody else maybe taking a, a bigger uh, a bigger piece of the news here relative to these out-of-options catchers? I'll be a little bit surprised if McGuire hits the waiver wire before before opening day, just because I, I think the Blue Jays like his glove enough that they – won't want to lose him for nothing, especially when Kirk is young enough that he can, you can realistically send him down, but we'll see. But he's definitely one of these guys who could hit the wire. I mean, they have enough depth catching wise that they could give up McGuire for nothing. And even if Kirk gets hurt or, you know, they need the depth later in the season, uh, Gabriel Moreno is not that far away. They have another guy um, who's not that, who, who can, they can call on. So I mean, the concern for the Blue Jays is, you know, it's 162 game season. If we're going to need, more than just Danny Jansen and Alejandro Kirk, then McGuire is the guy we want. So, you know, with that in mind, is he something that we want to give away right now? And their offense is stacked. Like, as much as they can use Kirk, they could keep him as a third catcher or they could use him as a DH occasionally. They don't need to because they do have plenty of bats. I mean, Rowdy Tellez is going to be their DH. They have Randall Gritchick who's going to be able to step in. So it's not like they need Kirk's bat in there right now. You're breaking my heart. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it is kind of a classic question. It's like, do the, do the Jays want to field the very best roster they can right now, or do they want to protect their long-term depth? It's a, it's kind of a, it's a, the old thrilling 26-man roster question. So after McGuire, I mean, we'll see what happens with him, but he's the guy I'd be looking for as well. There are other catchers out there kind of on the fringes. Dustin Garneau is the guy I might look at from Detroit. Uh, Ryan LaVarnway is a guy who sees, you know, a handful of bats every year. He's in Cleveland. Um, Sandy Leone is in Miami right now. He's a guy who, who probably won't make the roster ahead of Chad Wallach and Jorge Alfaro. Um, 
Tim Federovich is a guy who's, who's seen major league time with the Dodgers. Jacob Nottingham is a little bit interesting with the Brewers. He's the guy that they've played a fair amount. He's, they like his bat and I'm not sure he'll, he'll make the roster. There are any of those guys intriguing to you, Tim? I think Nottingham, just for the sake of we, even again, like last week we talked about how the Brewers tend to piece things together in a way that you wouldn't necessarily forecast, right? So seeing who becomes important to them as a club really tends to evolve over the course of a season. I mean, we've seen them, I mean, they've, they've made a couple of additions, um, not quite necessarily out of options, guys, but like Jesus Aguilar, they gave him a shot and he turned into a stud for them for a year. You know, like guys who suddenly turn into big deals uh, all the way around. Um, so I don't know that there's a particular skill set uh, with Nottingham so much as it is uh, really more about the club and the way that they go about constructing their team. It's always curious. And, and like you were saying, even when it comes to deciding some things on a catcher, you know, the defense is maybe the one position that is really still prioritized. The way they manage the game is prioritized over anything. It's such a big reason. Those two things are such a big reason that people don't care if they hit like 215 or 220. People don't care if they take longer to develop. They want them to really be able to be a part of the game. So uh, I think when it comes to just catchers in general and teams in general, what sticks out to me is how the Brewers might navigate something like uh, a player without, who's out of options. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they are the type of team that will use their depth every season. And so to give up Nottingham, you know, while in the grand scheme of things might not seem like a big deal, he's a guy that is, he's probably on, you know, Craig Council's game plan. He's hes somebody that they plan on using. And I think they don't probably like, like the idea of losing him for nothing. Let's look at the relievers, because this is really where there's a gigantic group to pull from. There's going to be a ton of relievers who are out of options ton of guys who get sent down and expose the waivers. But part of that is also that every team has their own eight to 12 guys who are, who are trying to make the team that they've spent all spring looking at. So for a guy to pop up on anybody's radar, he really has to be somebody that you've seen a fair amount of that, you know, he's, he's got the stuff that there's something intriguing about his skill set Cause these are guys that need to be in your opening day bullpen pretty much. Um, one guy I like in particular is, Look at Dylan Maples of the Cubs, right? This is a guy with tremendous stuff. He's just never been able to put it together. They've never been able to get him to throw strikes. He's got a shorter arm motion this year, but he's lost a tick or two in terms of miles per hour when he's getting hit a bit, even though he's throwing more strikes. I'm not sure there's going to be room for him on the Cubs. He's a guy that if I'm the, the Pirates, for instance, yeah, you want to just throw him in the bullpen, give him 30, 40 appearances and see if he can't, see if he can't figure it out with him. Is there anybody that jumps out to you in terms of these these bullpen guys, Tim? I think Maples is really interesting because of those reasons you said. So this has actually been on my mind recently. This will be coming up on a piece uh, from me at, at BP, at Baseball Prospectus, soon about relievers. And it's got a fantasy uh, fantasy baseball angle in the sense that uh, you know everybody's always chasing saves, and it's really hard to predict saves and forecast them. Uh, but really, every year, at least the last three, four years, there's somebody available, uh, their average draft positions like after, well after 600. Basically guys who are free, guys who pop up on the waiver. And so the, the unique thing, just from a baseball perspective, and this is anecdotal, but it's, it's unique and interesting, is that a lot of these guys tend to be in their mid to late 20s. They tend to, be, uh, to, they tend to have experience in the league for at least three seasons, and then the fourth or fifth season they pop. And they do kind of put things together. So I wonder if there is a comfort level uh, 
that relievers reach at a certain point, just kind of like we've talked about, knowing what what you do when you go to the ballpark, knowing your role each day. I wonder if Dylan Maples kind of slides into that calmly this year in a way that either helps the club, uh, helps the Cubs, or another club that picks him up off of waivers. You're talking about his stuff being really, really strong. He's he's interesting, and in then he he works two fastballs and a curveball, right? So he uses the the four seamer, the cutter, and the curveball all pretty evenly. And like you're saying, big time stuff. It's um, it's a fastball in the upper 90s. It's uh, the cutter really is like a slider-ish velocity at like 87, 88, and the curve comes in at 85 with a different, probably a different uh, attack plane that really did, again can change the batter's eyes. Um, you know, if he if he does put it together, I feel like he could be a guy who does pop up as a really important bullpen piece. And that's kind of the thing about relievers, right? It's like they're this amalgamation of guys. We either know them because they're really good or we know them because they've been absolutely dreadful. So you either, you know, you, you, you know them because they're an Araldus Chapman or you know them because they were a part of the Phillies bullpen last year, right? You, <laughs> for one of two reasons is really it. There's also this third category that's like unoffensive and not terribly exciting who can really become exciting quickly, and Maple seems to be that. But let me ask you about this other guy, another a, a former Cub, who finds himself in this position to, to potentially be out of a major league job. Uh, Carl Edwards Jr., now with Atlanta. How do you feel about Carl Edwards Jr.? You know, he was so good for the Cubs for so long. He was a significant part of their, their core when they won. He was one of the only guys that Joe Mann trusted out of the bullpen in 2016. But he was always it was always the high wire act, right? It was walking more than four, more than five guys per game. But his stuff was, was tantalizing, and, and he always kind of made it work. Carl Edwards for the Cubs from 2015 to 2018 was pretty much when he still had it working, right? That's four seasons of consistency out of the bullpen, which is pretty hard to get. He had a 3.06 ERA over those four years, a 3.12 FIP, over 172 games. Like This is not a small sample size, but he was one of those guys who just felt like he was either underperforming or underperforming. We felt like this is a guy who he should be a closer. He has amazing wipeout stuff. Underperforming or overperforming? Is that what right? You're that he was either that like the level he actually pitched at was pretty consistently a solid sixth, seventh, eighth inning guy. But because of his stuff and because of his wildness, it felt like he was always on the verge of either breaking out and becoming a top bullpen option or losing it completely. And that's what happened in 2019. Is he just he lost it completely, right? He no longer could throw strikes at all. He had 6.88 walks per nine, which, you know, for his career until that point, 4.92 walks per nine. So it's not, it's not like all that far off. Let me look at the percentages because it's a better number. Well, even, even the thing with him is like, you're talking about 2019, you know, so we go from 2016 uh, through 2018, 36 innings, 66, 52, and then 17, and when you run into trouble throwing 17 innings, whether it's injury or whatever else is going on in your game, generally it does not leave you as a reliever in a position to really command leverage when finding a team, finding a role, sticking in it, and really being able to kind of balance things out, right? Uh, and even, you know, he, he he's given up long balls at certain points where um, his best season with the Cubs in 2018, he, he barely gave up any homers when he gave up fly balls, but... Um, you know, what's interesting about him is he spent a little time with Seattle last year. Seattle really seems to be on the up and up when it comes to their development program, uh, especially with pitchers, right? They they tend to be able to work things out with guys or they tend to be able to raise their game. 
So, granted, it was less than five innings, but he walked, again, like 6% of batters. So, again, extremely small sample, but I'm very curious if there was anything in the, in the time that he spent with Seattle that could potentially stick with him as he moves forward, where maybe he has a couple rough outings to start the year. He gets, uh, he gets DFA'd, basically, uh, and somebody picks him up, and then he's he's really good. He's given a chance, and then suddenly he's pitching the eighth inning again. Yeah, and reports are good on him this spring. He's theoretically he looks good. He's doing a nice job for the Braves. I don't think he's going to make the Braves roster. The Braves have kind of enough guys in their bullpen right now. So unless they end up DFAing a guy like Luke Jackson or something like that, I think Edwards probably doesn't make the team. But I'd be surprised if he gets through waivers. There's going to be somebody who takes a chance on him. And I'd like to see how he, how what he can put together over a full season again. Because you're right, these are small samples from last year. And even 2019, we just didn't get to see very much of him. But if he's back on track, there's there's real potential there for maybe for a midseason pickup somewhere or even now if, if a contending team has space for him. And he, he's only 29, right? So when we talk about DFA, we're, we're talking designated for assignment. That's what happens when the guys are out of options. Uh, that's how they're immediately removed from the team's 40-man roster. They're placed on outright waivers or traded within seven days. Something happens with these players very quickly, especially in the scope of a full baseball season. Uh, so being only 29, being uh, having a track record of success, which is another identifier I, I noticed, again, anecdotally with these guys who broke out, uh, do you see, like, is there is there an optimal team? Like, of course, every team could use more bullpen help, but is there somebody in particular, some org where you see, oh, he would be great there. I mean, is it an oversimplification to just say the Phillies? I'm, the, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not exactly sure. I, I think the Phillies are actually looking better in the bullpen now than they have, uh, obviously, in a long time. So I'm not sure exactly if they're full up or not. The Nats are another team I would actually think about. I think they think they're full up. But, uh, you know, I, while it would be hard to be bad like they were last year, I don't know that – I'm very curious to see how much they improve as a group just to, with a different mentality. Uh, like right now, their pen features it's nearest, it's Bradley, it's Jose Alvarado. Uh, Brandon Kinsler and Tony Watson are there on non-roster invitations to camp. Uh, right now, Vince Velasquez is slated as as a as a bullpen piece, Connor Brogdon, uh, Jojo Romero, and David Hale. So I you know they they could probably find a space for a guy like Carl Edwards, who's had success, who is relatively young, who wouldn't cost a ton. Um, maybe even cash considerations or something like that if he's DFA'd. And yeah, I, I don't know. I guess it's it's easy to lean into that a little bit. Like they've been bad. They shouldn't stop looking at these tiny moves to improve just because they've signed guys through the offseason. Uh, I think another interesting club would be the Giants just because they seem to be really piecing together a team where it's like, let's see what sticks. Let's see who breaks out. Let's see what Tommy LaStella does in a in, in a regular setting. Let's see what we can build around Yastrzemski. Uh, and really, they've kind of got some interesting pieces going on in their bullpen, too. Uh, they have Jake McGee. They have Reyes Maranta. They have Tyler Rogers, Matt Whistler. So maybe he wouldn't be the most incredible fit there in terms of immediate need, but Maranta's coming back from a big injury. I, I don't know. I'm very curious what the Giants could do. Also, because they are, with Farhan Zaidi, uh, really coming up with Good development measures, really coming up with being able to pluck these guys and find some value. And even if he ends up getting traded, I'm wondering if uh, the Giants 
If they start slow, they've got a good waiver priority. Anything like that at all, they they would grab an arm like Carl Edwards Jr. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a great fit. You know, another one of these relievers that I was looking at was Anthony Banda, right? Banda's still 27 years old, a former top, top prospect of the Diamondbacks and the Rays. And then he's been injured and hurt and he hasn't been able to get back on track. He's kind of been turned into a two-pitch reliever. And I was thinking about like, you know, Banda's a guy who's seen time in the majors, but, and his numbers were good early on. It was really only after he had Tommy John that he started struggling. And I was thinking about, I'm thinking about like, man, where would I want to see Anthony Banda right now? And the answer was the Giants, which is where he is right now. So I'm not sure that there's a better fit for him. But at the same time, there is a roster crunch and the Giants are only going to be able to take so many of these of these reclamation projects. Now, they do have some space in the rotation with Alex Wood probably being out. But Logan Webb will probably just step into that spot and it still ends up being kind of a, you know, two, three man roster crunch in the, in the bullpen. Well, and the other thing when it comes to the Giants is that we know that they are in kind of this puzzle this puzzling mode, right? Where they're putting the pieces together and really seeing which edges fit best into the other edges and, and so on. But they also have Gabe Kapler who loves to tweak with his roster, who loves to use guys in all these different roles, different times. I'm curious how that might run through uh, a group of relievers. I mean, he's been out there already, but I'm curious to see how that continues, how that evolves with him as a, as a game manager, somebody who just loves different options at whatever point he wants. The roster construction is kind of one of the biggest questions with these teams because, you know, Kapler would love to have all these different pieces to play with, but especially with these guys who are out of options, you know, the, the Giants might very well be able to get Anthony Banda through waivers now, right? They're going to get him down to the minors. He can go to their alternate site in, in AAA because there are only so many teams that are going to have space to claim guys because every single team is sending guys through waivers, right? But then the question becomes, so when do you actually call on them to bring them up? Because the minute you bring them up, you're going to again risk exposing them to waivers unless they stay on the rush for the entire season. So a guy like, you know, to look at the, the, to move the nationals for a minute, Eric Fetty, who's kind of a fun example because he's one of these fourth year option guys, which we don't see very often, but he had his three option years used up, but he had Tommy John surgery after he was drafted. So we didn't start that season until June. So he still only had four and a half years of professional service time. So he got a fourth option year this year. That's going to end up being, kind of a bummer for him and that he's he's certainly going to be sent down to AAA now because the Nats don't want to lose Joe Ross or Austin both. But the Nats are one of these teams that they're not very deep. And when they do need another arm in the bullpen or in the rotation, Fetty's going to be the first guy that they want to go to. But depending on how early it happens, they'll have to really consider it because the minute he, he they bring him up to the roster, they'll, you know, well, he'll, he'll have, he has this extra option here, but for somebody like Banda, for instance, like, you have to expose them to waivers again. And mid-season, there might be more teams who are willing to pluck somebody from their from your bullpen because they've had, they've had their own injuries. They have their own guys that they maybe don't want to bring up for that same reason to risk losing them. So then it becomes a real kind of you know roster question in April and May to keep an eye out for. Really interesting. Just even as you were speaking there, that we're really t- it, it seems like maybe we're jumping around a lot. We go from uh, we go from the Giants to the Nats. It, they made me think of the Mets. How we've talked about them with building depth really all over their roster. But I think that really just goes to show that the big point when it comes to options is just how fickle a few performances can be. Right? Like they can really decide some things. And like for a team like the Nats, who aren't terribly deep throughout the roster, they like, man, they could really use an arm that, that pops up through waivers like this. Uh, so I think even more so than any particular guy going to a particular team, 
it's any team really having the chance to kind of steal, even if it's like half a win's worth of production, like how huge is that in the middle of the season from a guy you didn't know uh, as a fan, maybe in, you know, March or February. I feel like that just, that comes across as such a critical moment uh, for teams and can really be defining, can really kind of steady the ship across the season. Yeah, I think that's that's totally right. And these guys are, are guys that will be leaned upon at some point, even if it's just like, some of them will just be kind of leaning on to take innings and they're not, it's not necessarily about the, the, you know, wins above replacement that they put up. It's just about the fact that they are out there taking on innings at a time when, when your bullpen is thin and when you don't want to be, you know, the Phillies, for instance, don't want to, aren't going to want to put five days in a row on Jose Alvarado. So they're going to need guys that they are willing to put some of that time on. You look at, um, let me find Javi, Javi Guerra is a great example of this from the, just to go back to the Nats, because I, I know them fairly well in 2019, Javi Guerra wasn't a tremendous arm for the Nats, but he was a guy who the, who the Blue Jays put on waivers after 11 appearances, the Nats picked him up. He was only worth 0.2 war for them, but he would, he had 40 appearances. He threw 53 innings and he was a guy that they just were able to lean on at times games that were, you know, out of reach and, or games that were, it's too early to go to your, your star guys. And this year, more than any, those middle innings, you're going to need just arms. So, I, I mean, I think we're going to end up seeing not only, as you said, this is about all these potential guys who are out there and and where they might go, but I think we're going to see a lot of this midseason movement of guys being DFA'd and then claimed and kind of moved around. Yeah, really getting ready for that shuffle. And I think you made a great point there and that even if the performance isn't phenomenal, there's a lot to be said for not putting the team in a worse position, right? Like that, that matters a lot in the bottom line for a major league team. Guys who like, maybe it's overwrought with, uh, with narrative, but guys who keep you in the game, that kind of thing where it's like, especially in the middle innings, especially, you know, as the season goes on, we get in the warmer, hotter months that really make it difficult to labor through a game. Uh, just really interesting. I think Gara's a great case and we could definitely see more of that this year. Uh, but as far as, Position players go, TC. You mentioned we see a lot of catchers, a lot of relievers, because they are kind of these fungible parts of a roster. A lot of first basemen, potentially out of options and could be moving around. There's Jesus Aguilar, who we just mentioned a, mo- a moment ago, Renato Nunez, uh, Jake Bowers, uh, Ronald Guzman, Christian Walker, Daniel Vogelbach. Does anybody stick out to you among this crop who could really uh, who could end up on a new team and make a difference? Short answer, no. <laughs> I hate to say it, but the short answer is no. And the problem is, it's just hard to figure out where these guys would actually move to because there's just not that much of a difference between any of them. So like, which teams go around the league, which teams actually need a first baseman? There are very few. And then which of those teams, you know, is like Daniel Vogelbach, he's an impressive bat at times, right? He's the guy that you would love to have as your occasional first baseman slash pinch hitter who brings like significant power off the bench. He's valuable as that. He's not going to make the, the Brewers roster as that. And the Brewers don't even have a regular first baseman. They're playing, they're going to play Keston Hur at first and they still aren't going to have room for him. Just benches are too small these days. Teams want to use extra pitchers. So while a lot of these names are kind of interesting, Ronald Guzman is another one who's hasn't been a, he's been the, the Rangers starter at first now for three years. Last year was the first time that he had a over 100 WRC plus. He's not a guy I love, but they say he's looking really good this spring. You know, the Rangers brought in Nate Lowe pretty much to take his job. So maybe that was inspiring to him. 
but I just can't find another team that's actually going to take him. I mean, you know, you mentioned Christian Walker. He's another guy who's, he's just, he's the Diamondbacks first baseman. He's just going to be their first baseman because there's not another guy who brings a substantial improvement to him, to his 110 WRC plus. So, I mean, we just go around like the giants, do the giants need a first baseman? They have Brandon belt and Wilmer Flores. So kind of, but also not enough to get Daniel Volkebach, right? Padre, same thing. Eric Hosmer, he's the guy that you could that you could spell. He doesn't have to be a 160 game a year kind of guy. But you have Will, Will Myers who can step into that spot. Jerickson Profar can give him days off. You have flexibility. Guys can play first base. Even the Pirates. You look at the, the Pirates are playing Colin Moran at first base. Is Colin Moran good? No, no, he's not. He's never been good. <laughs> he's been their third baseman forever. Now he's going to be their first baseman. He's still not good. But he's a guy that they're comfortable with. They like him in the clubhouse. They know who he is. They know what he's going to do. And getting for the Pirates to go out and get Daniel Vogelbach, is Daniel Vogelbach or even, you know, Ronald Guzman going to be better than Colin Moran? Maybe. Is he going to be enough better to make a difference? No, not really, right? Like, now there are a couple of sleeper teams, I think, that could maybe use a first baseman, even though it might not seem like it, right? Like the Brewers are the opposite of this. The Brewers are a team that seems like they need a first baseman, but they actually don't. But some teams that I would look at, Phillies. Phillies are a team that I feel like have some space on their bench. Reese Hoskins has been hurt at times. He has not been a standout performer at times. And I think that they have an extra spot on their bench because of a guy like Scott Kingery, who's going to move all over the diamond, that for the Phillies to bring in a real power bat like Daniel Vogelbach, you can have him face really tough Fridays every now and again. He brings real power off the bench. I think that's a spot that could actually fit for fit for him. And I, and I think the Phillies do have room there. Yeah, it kind of... Um... I don't know if it pains me that they keep coming up, but uh, it, it is interesting in the sense that I guess some teams really have more work to do around the edges than others. Even looking at their depth chart, you mentioned Kingery. Um, part of his problem has been handling fastballs in the zone too, which is like, you know, okay, great. He can play all these positions presumably, but he's got to do something with the bat at some point for them to keep trotting out there. Uh, I mean, it, I guess not. They gave him the contract a couple of years ago to kind of uh, supersede uh, any any service time issues they might need to keep him down, but it seems like you know he's going to be 27 soon. He's he's going to have to do something. Uh, Matt Joyce is in camp, who's a, reportedly been uh, you know a a good influence. Um, Roman Quinn is there. He'll be hurt inevitably at some point, you would think. And then it's just Andrew Knapp as their backup catcher. So I could see somebody playing first base there. Um, I don't know. There's there's Brad Miller there too. Maybe he gets more run there. He came back in the offseason. Yeah. Uh, Adam Hastley. He's hurt. I think he'll, 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 Miller may miss the first couple of weeks. So that's the other thing is like small injuries like Miller's might give somebody just an extra week or two to, to audition. That's true. And, I, you know, that's something you have to count for when it comes to working around the edges of a roster is that not every guy is going to play 162 and, and your bench pieces won't always be able to fill in when they're absent or they need a, they need a breather. So... The Phillies are an interesting fit, I think. Um, when it comes to, really, I guess all all of the movement here, uh, it you know interesting, I guess not interesting, but noticeable that most of these guys are left-handed bats, and most of them are they are very much first baseman by body type. Is there anybody else that sticks like Vogelbach? I don't know where he fits with a team. I, I was going to ask you if there's anybody else you see fitting anywhere in particular, but I don't know. I don't know. I feel like if the Phillies end up needing a first baseman, they'll they'll find another option. <laughs> you know, on on the other hand, these are the other option guys. Like these are the guys you go get for free. 
right? They're not going to cost anything. I mean, some of, if you want to be proactive, you can go out and trade for some of these guys that you think are going to be, are going to hit waivers and, and teams are probably amenable to that to get cash considerations or some, you know, you know, one-armed pitcher in low A that you know, might turn into a, a super freak at some point. But for the most part, these are, I mean, you said it, fungible. These are the fungible pieces. Um, there are a couple fits though that I like. So let me give you a couple. One is just another kind of sleeper team for a first baseman. And that's the Mets. Now I know that's a little bit weird because it's like, wait, but the, don't the Mets already have two first basemen in their starting lineup? Yes, they do. They don't have another, they don't have need for another. But I will say, you know, I was looking at the Mets bench and it's just, it's all defense and speed, right? You have Albert Amore, you have Kevin Pillar, you have Luis Guillaume, you have Jonathan Villar. We got a rhyming, a rhyming bench, which is fun. But, uh, you know, outside of that added benefit, I feel like they could use an actual, I mean, this is a National League team. They're going to have to pinch hit a lot. And I'm not sure that Jonathan VR and Luis, and Luis Guillaume are the best left-handed options. I mean, with Pilar and Almora, you have those guys who are going to get a fair amount of, they're going to get starts in the outfield. And so that means that, you know, of Michael Conforto or Brandon Nimmo or Dominic Smith, who are on the bench, you know, a couple of days a week, you're going to have one big bat off the bench that you can go to. But if you're the Mets and you know you're rostering, you have Tomas Nito or whoever your backup catcher is going to be, you have Almora Jr. and Pilar who are going to be in your outfield and right-handed bats off the bench. Uh, Guillaume has an option. You could send him down. He's a defense guy. Say you choose choose between Guillaume and Villar for who do you want to keep. I mean, Villar, I guess they're paying, right? They're paying him $3.5 million, right? So you probably keep Guillaume to be your defensive guy your defensive glove, defensive replacement in the infield, you know, for J.D. Davis, who's fine. <laughs> or, and then you keep Villar to be a speed and he's your bat. Is that the right way to go in a, you know, if money aside, would you consider pushing Guillaume or Villar to the side for, you know, a Ronald Guzman or a Vogelbach or a, some other left-handed, left-handed bat that you can find somewhere? Maybe Guzman. Uh, I, I guess I just don't feel uh, particularly great about Vogelbach. Um, but I, I think I think they might be forced in, into doing that, right? Like you were saying it, these are guys who are generally middle infielders or outfielders, not guys you just plug in on a whim at first base. And uh, I mean, I, I mean, we do have two first basemen, like you were saying, but baseball is weird. We, like who knows if Alonzo and Smith hold up. Smith hasn't had a full a full season yet in, in the majors, right? Like he, who knows what goes on there? Uh, and I, I don't know. I, I keep coming around to really this idea of fortifying the edges and this idea of who knows and like how do you prepare for it? How do you, you know, how do you pivot at the last minute once you realize, oh crap, we, you know, this guy's hurt for four weeks and this guy just got put on waivers. What do we do about it? In the most part, for the most part, you're not trying to build your perfect 26 man roster now. As much as that's fun to think about and we'd like to do that, we know that there's there are going to be more people and you need depth and you have to be able. To, you don't know what kind of pieces are going to go down. Now, there is another fit that I like that I th- think does come close to fortifying a perfect 26-man roster that I want to throw out. And you. what is that? What do you think about Jake Bowers to the Yankees? Now, a couple of caveats here. First being that the Indians probably don't want to give up Jake Bowers. He's probably going to be their starting first baseman, right? So they probably don't have much of a choice there. But he is out of options. The Indians do have Bobby Bradley in the minors, who is a guy who's ready and has been ready. If he's, if he's ever ready, he's going, to be, he's going to be ready now. They have guys that they can play at first base. And for the Yankees, basically what I'm proposing is, is an upgrade over Jay Bruce, right? Like one of the outfielders that we like that we can talk about as well as Mike Talkman, right? He's an out of options guy who the Yankees have Brett Gardner as their fourth outfielder. They probably only have room for 
one of Bruce or Talkman. And they, they like Bruce right now because he can play first and because he can play the outfield. Jake Bowers is the same skill set. He has a little bit more upside, maybe. You know, he was a top prospect and he was the guy that people liked, but he hasn't shown it yet at the major league level. If you're the Yankees, do you stick with what you know in Jay Bruce and a veteran guy who, who you know, won't be cowed by, by the pressure or whatever else, the guy who's used to being out there? Or do you consider trying to go after somebody like Bowers? You, you're going to have to give somebody up for Bowers. You know, I even threw around like a, a Talkman for Bowers kind of deal because the Indians always need outfielders. But Talkman doesn't really fit all that well with what the Indians already have. They already have a bunch of corner left-handed bats. So you might have to give something of substance, but it's not going to be, you know, a star guy. What do you think about the Yankees looking into looking into Jake Bowers? I think that the Yankees would want to see him. Well, well, here I guess here's another caveat: is if he hits for a little more power, right? He doesn't really drive the ball especially well. If he hits for a little more power, he probably doesn't end up in a position for the Yankees to grab him. Uh, but yeah, I, I could. I don't know. I think they might end up sticking with a guy like Bruce. I think they would really value the kind of skill set that he brings uh, to the team, given all of the injuries that they've sustained uh, the last couple of years. If they ended up with a guy like Jake Bowers, it would be terrifically unexciting. And, um, you know, just the, this this seems like a perfect moment to remind everybody that Jay Bruce is only 33. It seems like we've known what? him for 17 years. <laughs> what? Is he only 33? Man. Yeah, he's only 33. He'll be 34. He'll play through most of the season at 34. Uh, but, you know, he... He's played valuable innings for he played valuable innings for the Phillies last year. He he's had big mo I mean he had 26 homers in 98 games in 2019. I think they would stick with him just because of the track record, the absolute run of of huge experience. Um which I guess leaves us with what a, what what does Cleveland do if they run into trouble at first base? Do they look for one of these guys? Do they look for Ronald Guzman and hope he he suddenly hits more or uh, you know, do they <laughs> do they hope they get something out of Daniel Vogelbach? I mean, I guess so. I, the Indians seem to really not like Bobby Bradley. Right? He was a guy. <laughs> he's a prospect. He's got big time power. He's been there, kind of sitting and ready. I thought they would go to him last year, but they never did, and they still don't seem to plan to. I, I think he's just going to waste away down there. I guess I don't know if he's what exactly they think about him, but it, he just seems like somebody that they're not in love with because they haven't gone to him yet. But at the same time, you know, they haven't traded him away. He's still there. So he's somebody that they could call on. The Indians, yeah, you could totally see them going after one of these, you know, Ronald Guzman. If he ended up on the Indians on opening day, would I be surprised? Not in the least. No. You, know, no. you could definitely see that happening. Well, and what's interesting is about Bradley, like th this team is bad at developing bats, right? Like we can praise them to high heaven about developing pitchers and trust them with pretty much anybody, which – we can we can get to a pitcher in a moment from there, um, but Bradley right now projects to drive the ball better than uh, than Jake Bowers does. I mean, the problem is he doesn't he doesn't take a walk, right? So the OPS will ultimately be better with Bowers, uh, but I don't know, like what. Man, they are just they they are kind of a puzzle themselves without being able to develop any bats over the years. It's like they're really paying a price for having such good pitching development that they're like, oh, we gotta balance the scales here somehow. Um, I know, right? I mean and, and they could move Josh Naylor to first and get an outfielder, but yeah. they can't develop outfielders either. So Yep. I mean it's it's really a shame. Like they're so good at developing pitchers. 
I mean, they might still contend this year. This was crazy. Like they, they're they're in the conversation because their pitchers are their pitching is so good. Both their starters and the relievers have the potential to be a top unit, and and they're just like, are any of these guys gonna hit? I I don't know. Yeah, they'll they'll um they'll be very exciting for half an inning per game. You would you would assume right <laughs> ha- at least half of each inning. Uh, but we're talking about all this pitching development they, that they've done, and I know we're not delving a, a ton into pitchers out of options right now as, in terms of starters. But they do have Adam Plitko, who is out of options, who's 29, who is uh, one guy that hasn't taken a huge, like, Plesak has taken a big leap, right? Aaron Savali has taken a pretty big leap. Uh, We know what they've done with Bauer and Clevenger and even Kluber. Like, we know that they can develop guys. We know Tristan McKenzie. It's almost like, you know, we could talk about if he's ready for a full season and the endurance it'll take, but... It's like, well, he's in Cleveland. Let's just trust them. Let's let them figure it out. Uh, when it comes to Plicko, he registered 109 innings for them two years ago, uh, just 27 last year with four starts and 10 games total, so another six out of relief. And he just he doesn't strike out a lot of guys at all. Below average whiffs pretty much every year of his major league career. Good control, below average uh, in terms of granting or above average in terms of granting free passes what do you make of a team that can't quite develop a pitcher like adam plutko is he i guess he is what he is but what does that say about him where might a guy like that end up when it comes to uh being out of options yeah i don't know i think if i'm another team i kind of feel like if the indians can't make it work for him then i don't know what chance I'm going to have, you know, they're, that's what they do best. So I'm not sure that the Indians, that a guy like Putko is the guy that I would look to first, but I mean, he is a guy who's seen, you know, a lot of playing time and he's thrown major league innings and there's always the chance that he just had some bad luck or that even the Indians have a certain way of doing things. And if you're an organization that does things differently, you know, maybe he's somebody you go to. There's another guy in the Indians that I kind of like that I'd like to see somebody else pick up. And that's Anthony Ghost, right? Former outfielder. He's he he came back as a former a speedster outfielder, right? He was he was basically Roman Quinn. Never could hit, never hit worth a lick. And then uh, you know he had two forty three or nine three forty eight line as a hitter. Played parts of five seasons, but then he couldn't find a spot, and he's come back as a middle reliever. And they say he's throwing well. They say he's looking good. I don't know that the Indians are going to have time for him. I don't know that Indians want to give playing time to somebody like Ghost, but if I'm the, but he's a super fun story, right? I keep going to the Pirates because I figured the Pirates don't have any real baseball players, right? <laughs> like send him there. But if you're a team like the Pirates or maybe, I don't know, the Orioles or one of these teams that doesn't really plan to contend much, isn't Ghost the perfect kind of, you know, fan favorite, you know, high ceiling. Not, he's not high ceiling in terms of like on-field contributions probably, but he's high ceiling in terms of what he could bring to your team in terms of, you know, having a bit of a cult following or being a fun follow. Do you think he, do you think the Indians give him a chance? Do you think there's any chance he ends up somewhere else? Uh, you know, looking at that roster, it's really tough to find a spot for him. Even their pen, you know, they have Karen Chuck, they have Nick Wickren, they have uh, Class A, Blake Parker on a non-roster invitee or as a non-roster invitee. Uh, Ali Perez, another NRI guy, right? Like guys we've talked about who, they find jobs where they they have an an excellent skill set. So I don't know if they give him a chance, but if he if they don't, 
I feel like, I mean, the guy's he's 30. Ghost is 30. It's been around a long time. He came up as a, as a Phillies prospect, right? And he, he ultimately, was he a part of the Roy Halladay trade? Is that how he ended up in Toronto? Um, you know, regardless, he's been around a long time. I feel like he's going to keep trying this. And I would really like to see him in a place like Pittsburgh. I, you know, I want to see him in a place like P- Pittsburgh because it would be a really fun story, but also because it's so low pressure that maybe it also helps him succeed, right? And, yeah. like, who's in his way in the Pittsburgh bullpen? Like, their, their setup men are Michael Feliz and Chris Stratton, who are like, like okay, you know, you have Kyle Crick out there, uh, and that's maybe it. Like, Richard Rodriguez is going to yeah. close for them, but... I think that's a really good fit. I mean, I guess you could say that for any reliever, but I'm almost like finding myself cheering for Anthony Ghost in Pittsburgh this year. For sure. And now that I think about it, the, the entire Pirates bullpen should just be former position players trying to work their way back as, as relievers, right? I mean, they're going with they're going to go with Dwayne Underwood Jr. instead. The other <laughs> other out of options guys that they're picking up elsewhere. Just bring all these guys. Give them all a chance. Let's get Matt Davidson. <laughs> other guys who are trying to make it as two way players. They already have. Uh, Steven Brault, who wants to go two-way. Just go all two-way players with them. Give them all a chance out of the bullpen. They need guys. I'm all, like I'm just imagining a, an entire team of of like gimmick two-way players, and I'm like leaning into it. I want it. <laughs> yeah, they can get yeah. Pat Vendit, a different kind of, different kind of two-way player. <laughs> Two-arm player, that's thing. for sure. Two-arm player. Uh, and, and like, you know, when it comes to the Central, they're pretty much the only team, team nobody's considering for being in contention, right? So... You know, maybe they don't go full parody, but they have all the reasons in the world to just take whoever comes along and see if they work out, right? That said, I have another guy on my out-of-options list who's actually on the Pirates, who I think other teams might want to go get, which I know, it's like, wait, you mean there's a guy on the Pirates <laughs> who's out-of-options that the Pirates might not roster, that another <laughs> team might want to roster? Right. There's no way, right? But there is. Now they will give him, they sign him to a minor league deal worth $1.5 if he makes the team but I'm not sure if they plan on having him make the team or not. And this is Brian Goodwin, right? Brian Goodwin, former national, former angel. After they signed him, they also picked up Dustin Fowler, another out of options guy who is is younger and maybe has a little bit more upside. He's a guy that they maybe like a little bit more for that spot. Todd Frazier is on their team and he has a pretty good chance of making the, the bench. So I'm not sure there's going to be room for Brian Goodman, but Brian Goodman has been a solid player. I mean, despite last year, he struggled a bit bouncing between the angels and the reds, but he had a couple of seasons of being kind of becoming a regular, he was a starting outfielder with the angels. I mean, I think it was, you know, 2019 is, was his big year. 1.8 F war, 262, 326, 470 struck out 28% of the time. You know, he strikes out too much. He walks not quite enough, 8.3%, but he's a good defensive outfielder. He can play center in a pinch. He can be, he's a good defender. If you keep him in the corners, I feel like there's a team where he makes sense as a, as a fourth outfielder. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what team that is, you know, probably the Phillies, right? This is where you want to send everybody. <laughs> we want to take all the, all the pirates and send them to, to Philadelphia. But uh, I, I feel like Goodwin's a guy that you can maybe go after. I mean, he doesn't perfectly fit the category because he has this, uh, because he has a contract that guarantees him more money if he's on the major league roster. But the minute he's he's let go from that, I could easily see a team a team scooping him up, right? Yeah, and that's you know Goodwin's a good example of a guy who has been around. Uh, who you know he he's another guy who's thirty who has had some success, 
And I, I'm wondering if, yeah, he, you know, he gets another opportunity. He does have, maybe he put, he gives you a league average bat for however many games uh, he's in there. And like you're saying, I, I feel like being able to play center is really a, a valuable skill. So, um, you know, my, my brain went to the Phillies too. And I feel like we're just hammering everybody <laughs> with the Phillies need this player. The Phillies need this player, but. Well, Hazley's out. Adam Hazley's hurt. And, you know, McCutcheon, he's maybe lost a step. You don't want him out there every single day. Right. Right. Yeah, there's somebody, they already don't have a center fielder. I mean, you're you're taking the words out of my mouth. I just hope. Uh, I I know all the other teams exist too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, running down the the list, we've gone through some catchers, we've gone through some relievers, we've gone through the corner infield. Uh, is there anybody else now? We've mentioned even a, a starting pitcher with Plutko and Goodwin as a, as an outfielder. Is there anybody else along the list of all of these guys out of options? who strikes you as particularly interesting before we maybe hit on guys who are out of options, but probably are not losing their job. Um, yeah, there are a couple of guys that I think are worth looking at. I mean, a lot of relievers, Jose Ruiz in, in Chicago, uh, Zach Roscup in, with the Rockies, you know, Ildemar Vargas with the Cubs is somebody that you might look at. Domingo Leyva is another, you know, switch hitting middle infielder. Wolf, Wilmer Defoe, I have a piece coming out on, on pitchers list about Wilmer Defoe, the, the Wilmer Defoe All-Stars. All and he's, he's a middle infielder right now for the Pirates, longtime national, who is kind of, he's the perfect like 27th man, where if he's ever, he's not even like the 27th man, he's the guy like who should be the backup to the backup. And if he's anything more than that, you're kind of in trouble. So, you know, he's a guy who might be DFA, but I don't expect him to pick him up. A couple of guys that I actually do like though, uh, Roman Quinn's another guy with the Phillies who could be DFA'd. I think they'll probably keep him because they have the space now. Um, but I will go with two other infielders, guys who can kind of be moved around. One who I don't think will be moved and one who I do think could be moved. So the one I don't think will move is Aledmus Diaz of the Astros. So he's been the primary backup infielder for the Astros, but the Astros just signed Jake Odorizzi. They don't want to go past the luxury tax because they have Justin Verlander and Zach Grinke and Carlos Correa, who are all going to be free agents next year. And they will their draft pick compensation will move back 10 picks for each of those guys if they end up over the luxury tax this year as a second time offender. So they really don't want to go over the tax. They're very close to the tax now though. And they want to leave some room for midseason acquisition. Diaz is making about, I think 3 million, something like that, two, seven, five, three, five, something, something in that area. Something that's like enough that I don't know that they're going to find a taker for him if they went out to the trade market. But I wonder, and this is more kind of fantasy baseball than it is real baseball. I wonder if they put him on the waivers on waiver on the waiver wire, if somebody would just go and take him and take on that whole contract, if they didn't have to give anything up for him. The reason the Astros wouldn't do that is, is because he's really their only backup shortstop and Carlos Correa is an injury concern just about every year. But if they want to get under the luxury tax, he might be the guy. Brooks Raley is another out of options guy who might be the other one. He's only making 2 million this year. So he's another guy who you could see hit the waiver wire. And if they could clue that money, then they wouldn't have to worry about moving Diaz. But Diaz is a totally valuable bat, and I could see there being a team out there that he'd be a fit for. But at the same time, it's crazy to say $3 million is more than most people want to pay right now. Yeah, and I guess this really it really comes down to how far into the season might like things really might break one way or the other for the Astros. Still a favorite for that division by and large, but I think you're saying a really critical piece to a roster that has a shortstop who has a history of missing time and not just like a week here or there where they need to plug a guy in, but like large swaths of time, right? 
Uh, so I'm I'm very curious. You make a good case. I don't know that they would put him in a position to find his way to another team. I think that they would very much be interested in holding on to him. And they have, uh, we're talking about the money that they might want to clear. So they are really at a, at a crossroads when it comes to their roster. We have mentioned this a couple times that this might be the last time they run it back, that they really might kind of uh, hold back and uh, it could be interesting to see. Maybe they hold on to Diaz and move him uh, toward the end of the year if they're out of it or in the off season just to kind of clear space if they don't feel they need a placeholder if, if Correa ends up walking. Yeah, for sure. And another guy in, this, in a similar mold, Daniel Robertson of the Brewers. I'm not a huge fan, but the Brewers seem to like him. Craig Council said of him, like, he referenced his, like, uh, what do you have, a 2.4 war season in 2018. And, and Craig Council was like, you know, he's done it before. He was good in 2018. So, you know, he's a guy that we know <laughs> we can trust. And it's like, what? No, he's the, it, doesn't that mean that you can't trust him if he's done it before but hasn't done it recently like isn't that kind of exactly what it means is he's not a guy you can trust yeah but he's looking what he's overlooking is the negative value he put up in 2019 <laughs> i know and it's he seems like he's gonna make the brewers roster i'm a little bit surprised because it's not a real position of need he's a guy who's best at third and second can place him first if you need him to he's a he's a bit of a stretch at short and now that the brewers have you know either you know orlando arcia moving between short and third or uh, luis urias doing the same I'm not really sure why they would need Robertson over somebody like, you know, our favorite Daniel Volgabach. But the Bruce seemed to like him. I think he'll probably make the team. If he doesn't, he's somebody that could get claimed somewhere, right? Yeah, absolutely. Especially just because of that versatility. He can play three infield spots, right? He can fill in. Uh, we mentioned center field for Goodwin being a, a relevant piece of his resume. Like being able to play second, short, third, all over, like that could help pretty much every team. And, you know, we're realizing a bit of a theme here as we go through a lot of these guys. They are coming from the Rays organization. So it's very interesting that, like, we, you know, when it comes to these guys on the fringes of rosters, that the Rays have built up such a 40 man crunch over time that they are creating a 40 man crunch for other teams around the league. Now, someone has to develop these prospects, and the, the Rays can just do it for everybody. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that, you know, just uh, don't make them spend any money to do it. It'll it'll go the the money for the their development will go further than it would for, on their payroll. That's for sure. Uh, there are a handful of guys who are out of options that are worth mentioning just because they are locked into a job, right? Like we mentioned, G Man Choi up top, he's probably locked into a job at least for this year until he gets CJ Crone or something. Yeah, he has especially because he's hurt, so he'll probably be on the injured list to start the season, and then, and then they have time to bring him back and ease him back in and. Yeah, I think he's fine for now. Uh, Adalberto, Adalberto Mondesi, probably not going to get the F8, right, by the Royals? Yeah, I'd say so. They're, they've invested a little bit too much to just let him go. They're, he'll be their starting shortstop. Matthew Boyd in Detroit. You would hope he has a bounce back of some sort. Uh, and his teammate, Jaime Candelario, right? Like, those guys aren't going anywhere. Yeah, they're both guys who, like, you know, last year you might have thought there would be a future in which they get – DFA this year, but they've they've done enough to to probably be a regular part of the team at least at least for now. Yeah, and then there's a there's a pair of Reds relievers, Amir Garrett, Lucas Sims, uh, both in the running for closing, and you know Sims is hurt right now, but obviously he'll be back at some point as long as it doesn't develop into more of an injury. I think it was uh, elbow pain that they're being precautionary about. Yeah, so Sims is a guy who's like, you know, just right on the border. He he kind of put it together just at the right time. I think of Tyler Duff as being another one of these kinds of guys who 
took a while to really find his find himself and it ended up being out of options, but then kind of found his way just in time. So I think Sims will stick there because he's he's a, he's going to be a late inning option for them if he gets healthy. Josh Lindblom with the the Brewers that they're not going to they're not going to send him packing. Um, Tyler Matzik with Atlanta, I don't, you know, you don't see that coming with the way he kind of uh, rebirthed himself as a major leaguer last summer. Um, a handful of guys. Does anybody else stick out to you worth mentioning? Is like this guy, you'll see he's out of options, but he's not going anywhere. Chris Bassett of the A's is somebody who's he's probably no more valuable. He's probably more valuable to the A's than anybody else than any other team. And you know, they have a couple guys who are not out of options in their rotation, but he's been pretty decent with them. Like it, the A's are so weird in that they have guys, these guys like Mike Fires and Chris Bassett, who are like on the verge of not being good enough for the rotation, but are going to maybe be the opening day starter for the for the A's. But um, you know, he's somebody on the list who's not going to go. Christian Walker, we mentioned he's a starter. Pierce Johnson, um, some of these guys who've come back from overseas kind of fit this, fit the bill here. Pierce Johnson for the Padres, he was a good arm for them last year. I don't think they think about letting him walk. Um, there was somebody else like that. Uh, and then a lot of these reclamation projects, uh, Mike Fultonavich with the Rangers, right? They say his his velocity has been back up. Yeah, back up to the mid nineties. You know, I don't I don't see their you know they could use any arm they could get. I don't see them letting him go. Yeah, it'll probably be the Nick Pavetta. Looks like he has the inside track on the fifth starter job in uh, in Boston. Who was Chris Flexen? Was he was the other guy from abroad who you know the the Mariners just gave him money, so he's going to be there. You know, Daniel Ponce de Leon is somebody that I might have looked at from the Cardinals. They've now had injuries in the rotation. So he'll probably, he has a decent chance of making the rotation. Same with John Gant. Gant's now pretty much a shoe in to make that rotation, but he was out of options. And, you know, there was a world in which they could have, you know, hit the wire in this way, but I think they'll probably make the roster now. Uh, Grant Dayton and Luke Jackson, you know, we touched on, we talked about Jackson earlier. Uh, you know, one of those guys in, in Atlanta, the Marlins are basically all guys who are out of options who <laughs> could be on the roster, could be elsewhere, right? Jesus Aguilar, He's one of these guys that like, he's a first baseman. There's just not another team that needs him. He's not an improvement over anybody else. So he'll probably stay there. Uh, Adam Duvall, they were giving him money. He'll probably find a role there and then they'll, they'll look to trade him if they're, if they're out of it. Jorge Alfaro is a guy who, he, he could be a surprise add to the list. I don't think he will, but you know, they have Chad Wallach and they have Sandy Leone behind him. And there's a world in which they decide just that they're done with Alfaro, but I don't think that's this world. Yeah, I would agree with that. I feel like they they are kind of going to hang on to him just as in the in the fashion he came to the team, you know, through Real Muto leaving. Even though they got Sixto Sanchez too, they, they still value him in some capacity uh, in that regard. There's also uh, both Yankees catchers are out of <laughs> options right now. Gary Sanchez, Kyle Higashioka. I don't see them either of them being uh, sent packing in th- this season, especially in the middle of the season. Right, like those guys are going to stick around. Yeah, I mean, especially now that Robinson Chirinos is going under you know he's having surgery so he's out for a bit uh you know rob brantley is there is there like fourth fifth catcher and he's also out of options so i, I think both those guys will stick so tell me this tim of all these guys we talked about a lot of guys we got a big list here mike talkman reese mcguire daniel vogelbach ronald guzman if you can choose just one of them right you're starting a new team and they're giving you one guy to choose they say tim we love you we're going to give you the, the the tim jackson killers this is your franchise. We're going to get you started with one player. You got to choose them from this list of out of options players. Who, who are you starting your team with? Can I take one of the guys who are obvious locks to stay on their team? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, 
I was on the edge of my seat. I was so anxious, hoping you would say yes. Uh, boy, that really puts me over a barrel about this. Um, it's a really fun question. And, oh, man, who do I take out of all of these guys? Cosma, Austin Bryce, Christian Arroyo, guys we haven't even talked about yet. Terrence Gore, you could go speed first. <laughs> we're, we're bringing it back. Give us the speed. He's going to lead off and steal 50 bags. Casey Sadler, he's a you know middle reliever I like a lot that might not make the Mariners. You know, I'm going to lean into Carson Fulmer with the Cincinnati Reds. Oh, Carson Fulmer, interesting. And I'm going to lean into him because I love Cincinnati's development program at this point. They have spent a lot of resources, not just grabbing players and peeling back the last couple of years and then this offseason, but really in the development side of things. Uh, Sonny Gray is back he's attributed being back in that setting uh, where they really focus on being able to communicate well uh, and being with his old pitching coach uh, Derek Johnson Um, Bauer was there and and helped a couple of guys Lucas Sims was another guy who was like you know when he when his curveball blew up last year as a reliever people were like oh man where was this two years ago and he's like well now I'm with a team who actually cares about this kind of information and they're communicating it to me so given Carson Fulmer's uh, profile, his his pedigree as a prospect, uh, his his propensity to be able to, to spin it. Now he's in a place that might really give him a chance to. I would lean into him, and hopefully he turns into like a back-end bullpen piece to help me close out some games. That's a great pick, and I'm going to break your heart with it because little do you know that Carson Fulmer would be a great pick if he'd gotten to spend some time with the Reds and, and oh, no. learn some from their team there. But he was just picked up by the Reds three days ago when he was DFA'd by the Pirates of all teams. <laughs> <laughs> so you started your team with a player who was DFA'd by the Pirates. Well done, well done, Tim. Well, who who would you take? And hopefully, uh, hopefully, it's not somebody DFA'd by the Pirates. Um, honestly, I think it's probably Reese McGuire to go back to where we started. I mean, to take a defensive catcher who's good at with with pitchers. If you're starting a new team. You're going to have a bunch of young guys who are trying to figure it out. You know, you don't really need to worry about the bat so much. You want Reese McGuire has the most, like, the broadest base of of potential value there. I think he's probably the guy I would go after. Now, if he doesn't get DFA'd, because I guess he maybe qualifies for that list, uh, then give me the Slimmer Reaper. Give me, give me Carl Edwards Jr. Give me, give me somebody fun. <laughs> or maybe Pete Cosmo. I, I, I didn't know that was his nickname. The Slim Reaper is, is an amazing nickname. Oh yeah, he's got a he's got a bunch of really fun nicknames. They, uh, I mean, yeah, they call him the String Bean Slinger. That's the other one for Carl Edwards Jr. A few big stories coming out. The Reds said that they want to experiment with Eugenio Suarez at shortstop. Uh, can you give me like a two word opinion on that? Or <laughs> I mean, why not? The Red the Reds the one thing that they've shown in recent years is that they can convert third baseman to middle infielders. They've done it before, <laughs> Mike Mustakas. They're, I'm telling you, they're going with the all third baseman infield. It's incredible. They're going to stick. I mean, in this case, if this did happen, it would probably mean Mike Mustak is moving back to third. And then you have Jonathan India at second. But it's it's pretty amazing even to consider it. It is. It's at least fun. I don't know if it would be great. He said it's like riding a bike. You never forget how to do it. Um, <laughs> unique cho- choice of words for a player like him on the defensive end of the spectrum. Uh, but speaking of third base and weird defensive fits, not maybe weird, but unexpected, uh, Wander Franco was recently sent to minor league camp by the Rays, but they were trying him out at third base beforehand. 
What do you think of that? Yeah, I think that's kind of just normal working him around, keeping their options open. If nothing else for the optics of it, so that they don't feel like they have to move Willie Adamas off of short. I mean, they like, I think they, I think the Rays genuinely really like Willie Adamas and think he's the type of guy that they could extend in, in, in a similar vein to like the Brandon, Brandon Lau, where they can get him at a reasonable AAV and they don't have to break the, break the bank for him. But I think at the same time, you know, he is a the guy they like, they like his defensive value there. There is the possibility at least of having a year or two of overlap between the two. And Adamus brings more value with the glove. Franco's bat has more value elsewhere. So it makes sense to pair him in that way. And again, I think just for the optics, I think the Rays don't like being in a position where it looks like they have to trade Adamus to bring up yeah. Franco to make room because then they're going to get less form. I think they want to be in a position of power there. And so to make it at least seem like that they can play these two together, that makes sense. Well, and, and as valuable as Franco could be at shortstop, third base is probably the quickest way it gets to the majors this year, right? Yeah. Because they do, the, the Rays are notorious for constantly having a 40-man roster crunch. They're always going to have other guys who can play shortstop. It might not be the most fun thing to consider because everybody wants to see Wander as soon as possible, as much as possible. But if we want to see him as soon as possible, it might take being at third base. You know, Joey Wendell isn't really stopping anybody there. Yandy Diaz and Mike Brasso. I mean, honestly, I think it's going to take some time with Franco, more time than people think, because I think if you were really that close, you bring him up last year, right? You're a team that you, you go to the World Series, you not you don't go to the world series that often. You have those windows that are very, they're small windows, right? So if you, if the race thought Franco was really ready, I have to imagine they would have brought him up. And in that vein, another really top prospect who's getting a lot of fanfare, not just from around the league, but like his own org campaigning to put him on the opening day roster or saying they're open to it. The Royals with Bobby Witt Jr. Do you see them doing that? I mean, if there was any team that would, it would be the Royals, right? They, they are happy to bring their guys up. They want to see them. The problem with the Royals is just that they don't really have room for them because they like Mondesi, right? They want to see Mondesi and they like Nicky Lopez at second, even though neither guy has really proven themselves as a capable option up the middle. I'd just be a little bit surprised if they, if they brought Witt up from day one. I wouldn't be shocked if we saw him, you know, in May, but... I'd be a little surprised if it was it was if it was from the start of the season because if they bring him up, they're going to start him. Yeah, that's true, and I I think I don't know. I feel I feel like May is even optimistic because he's only played in rookie ball. He played 37 games there. He didn't really tear the cover off the ball, and like you're saying, like you can't bring him up and and let him play on the bench or be like an intermediary player. Like he's got to start from day one. And Baseball Reference has a great quality of opponent stat. It's a lot of fun to kind of track for these kinds of moments through spring training, especially. He's only fit, faced the the equivalent of like an A or a double A pitcher. And it's not like, you know, he's, he's not being overwhelmed with talent. He's not facing the aces of the league and doing what he's doing. I think he could be really great. I'm almost worried if they bring him up that early. I mean, you have Car- Carlos Santana, who's going to be at first. So you can't move guys there. You have Hunter Dozier, who they just extended. He's going to be at third. So you can't really move him. I mean, they just don't really have space for him unless they decide to make Montesi a center fielder. And if they were going to make Montesi a center fielder, they should have started in spring training. Yeah, because we've seen how that plays out with, with Cleveland <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, Andre Jimenez, right? Uh, not, not a pretty game for him the other day. Uh, but we talk about a couple of younger guys. Uh, let's talk about uh, a guy riding off into the sun with a really accomplished career in Nick Marcakis. He had a walk rate near 10% for his career, K rate just over 13%. 
hit 288, 357, 423 across 15 major league seasons. Uh, TC, do you have parting words for Nick Markakis? Um, yeah, hey, hey, Nick. <laughs> good, good job. You did so good. You had so many hits, a lot of hits. 2,300 hits. He was, I mean, he was a good outfielder. Um, you know, he's underrated, I guess. People in Baltimore and Atlanta love him. And so that tells you something of, you know, on base percentage over 350. He would have been a star if he hit for power. You know, if he could hit even 20 home runs, he would have been a star. As was, he was a pretty darn good player. It's tough to play as long as he did. I mean, he was an all-star for the first time at 34. That's that's tough to do. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And, uh, you know, he might get overshadowed by other players of his era. Uh, not quite the the hitter that Bobby Abreu was, but a similar way. Like, there were just guys doing it better than him for a long time. And we're at various eras because he did play so long that he might not get the credit he deserves. He's one of these, like, Hall of Very Steady, Hall of Very Good type of players. He did have a WRC Plus that finishes for his career at 109. Uh, his high for his whole career was 138 way back in 2008. Otherwise, he was usually in the teens. So he, he had such a balanced career. Uh, one of the first guys I think I gravitated to uh, in, in the mid-2000s as a player outside of the team I followed. Really just a fun player to see continually uh, find a way to, to play. Uh, I think I saw it last year at one point online. Uh, somebody said something like death taxes and Nick Markakis finding at bats in somebody's outfield, right? Like that was happening and that, that was great. I mean, he opted out and then he came back and, and was contributing to a team that was was making really a push for the World Series, so good for him. Any other parting notes for Nick Markikis aside from good job? <laughs> I mean, he, he's a fun, fun player. He was a total star in 2008, and other than that, was he was good. He was a sub-three war guy, but he was you know one to three war every single season in right field where you, you feel like you can find somebody. Right. He, he's a very kind of weird, fits a weird niche of like, you know, he's the guy you... You don't really need, but he's he's there if you need him. If he's there if you want, yeah. him, I guess. <laughs> I know just quickly on Super Two that we talked about last week. It, we talked about I think the top seventeen percent of players with two years of service time. But I think it's it was pointed out to me that uh, it's the top twenty two percent by uh, listener Aaron. Right, that's where the Super Twos come in. Uh, two years service time, twenty two percent, all of that. I said about I said about seventeen percent. I said about. I wasn't I wasn't sure. That's pretty close. <laughs> I didn't think it was critical of you at all. I thought I thought that was like we were so excited about Juan Soto that we just uh, I thought it was worth clarifying. Um, uh, I think that's a great note to to wrap up with. So that'll do it all for us this week, everybody. So glad you stopped by. So glad that we'll see you again next week. You can email us at breakingpodpl at gmail dot com. TC, where can everybody find you online? Keep an eye out for my uh, Wilmer Default All Stars. Uh, article that's coming out on Pitcher List this week. Uh, and then I'm, you can get me on MLB Trade Rumors or on Twitter at T-C-Z-E-N-C-K-A at T-C-Zanka. But you can find me on Twitter at Tim Jackson Says and at Baseball Prospectus. You'll see me kicking around Pitcher List, of course. And we can't wait to talk more baseball with you next week. So long, everybody.